podcast. My name is Nancy Odimego. We're back with something really interesting, an assessment of oil producing states in Nigeria. Now that is our focus for today's discussion. And I'm not alone. We have serious minds joining us in this podcast. Extractive lead for budget in the person of engineer Adejoke Akimbode. Hi Joke, nice to have you join Hi, us. Nancy. And um, Joke is not alone actually. We also have a senior research and policy analyst in your bank, Usen. Ini, what's up? Hello, Nancy. Hi. Feels good to be here. Thank you for joining us. So, by the way, guys, Ini recently featured in IBP's Budget Trailblazer. It's an amazing interview, and you can check it out. It's up on their website. So, let's just delve in without wasting much of our time. I mean, 2020 was a crazy year, if I'm to say. The pandemic and everything put together, no sector was spared. So, that's where we are going to start from. And Ini, I hope you don't mind. You know, they say ladies first. So, we are going to be... <laughs> We are going to be starting with uh, Jake here. We are going to be starting with Jake. So Jake, let's come to you now. 2020 came, the pandemic came, the COVID-19, it came and um, it had its impact, especially it affected oil prices. I mean, so let's let's have an overview. The impact of falling oil prices now due to COVID on the revenue of oil producing states and the effect it had on the revenue targets as well as any budget cuts. Yeah, thank you, Nancy. Um, as we all know, the COVID-19 pandemic actually exposed the inherent economic vulnerabilities of the state in Nigeria, even as um, Nigeria as a country, you know. And um, it was really a sad thing to see the federal government and some states actually cutting down their budgets, not once, not twice, some twice, you know. And that's because oil prices crashed and they couldn't meet their FAC allocation to give states. So even states cannot even rely on their IGR. And um, another effect that COVID-19 had was that most of the little revenue they got last year was actually spent on recurrent expenditure. And most okay. states could not even do any capital projects. So it's actually a sad thing that without oil, Nigeria as a whole can actually not function, you know. And um, this is an item that Nigeria and states need to start looking for means of actually um, getting revenue beyond oil. Because we all know that oil revenue now contains like contributes like 70% to the federal government's revenue. And it's high time we look beyond oil and see how can we actually survive without oil. Because okay. what happened last year might happen again. Then um, what happened last year keep repeating itself. So it was really sad to see that states, especially oil producing states, couldn't even function without these um without oil revenue, without the normal FAC allocation they, they get, get, despite that they still get 13% derivation from the federal government. Yes. So yeah, it's, it's really sad. So there was really a lot of back, um, a, a lot of setback for the states last year to function in properly in terms of their revenue. Wow, that, that's so sad. So if we were to look at um, the FAC now and the 13% derivative as well as the IGR. Now let's let's move this over to Ines' side, which reference to budget policy documents on assessing the impact of low oil price environments on state fiscal sustainability. Now most of the oil producing states, what, they have um, reliance, over 50% reliance on the federal allocation and the 13% derivative. For example, now, Bielsa, between 2015 and 2019, I mean, their reliance on this derivative was shooting at close to 90%. So if you're looking at this, how sustainable now is this? Considering the dwindling revenue, each time it keeps dropping, it keeps dropping due to the crashing oil prices. Yeah, like, so, so going by um, an assessment budget does, which mm. is the state of states, yes. looking at the fiscal the of assessment of sustainability of states and how states can generate revenues internally to um, fund their budgets. Um, in the last three years, if you look at the last three 
assessments um, budget had, has done, um, a lot of states are not um, fiscally viable. And we sort of have um, metrics for measuring the fiscal sustainability of states. Okay. So we look at how states are able to fund their recurrent expenditure with their um, recurrent revenue. We look at how states are able to meet their debt liabilities with all their debt obligations with their revenue. And like you rightly pointed out, between 2015 and 2019, the four states under review um, in this document where we're reviewing today had, say for River State, okay. their, their, their dependency on FAC, which is um, a summation of the, the um, allocation from the statutory allocation from the federal government and the 13% derivation was close to 90%. Mm -hmm. Bayosa was 90%. Um, Aquaibon was about 87%. Delta 76, it was just reversed, that was about 55%. Yes, yes. What that tells you is that for a state like Bielsa, that was 90%, only 10% of what contributed to their total recover, recurrent revenue was generated internally, was gotten either from the 13% derivation and statutory allocation from the federal government. Okay. Why is that worrisome? So 50% of the revenue that accrues to the federal government um, is from um, gotten from proceeds of oil. Okay. Uh, over ninety percent of our foreign exchange revenues are also gotten from you know the proceeds of oil. So if you are confronted to a situation like we were last year, where the global demand for crude you know plummeted to um, levels you know we've almost never experienced Expected, before, yeah. right? And you are you are confronted with prices almost you know in the negative or in in, a, in Minus, some some yes. point in april last year um, um west texas intermediate which is also a blend of crude was you know went for um below 37 dollars per barrel mm. and if you are looking at the production cost of 28 to 30 dollars per barrel and that same product you are selling it at negative 37 dollars per barrel mm. what that tells you is that um at some point um, a lot of these companies and the government, because the government is a major player yeah. in the industry, yeah. were actually borrowing, you know, or funding some of their production costs with debt. So that tells you that um, in in the short, medium, and even the long term, um, over reliance on revenues from oil is not sustainable. Okay. Especially if you look at the fact that the world is trying to transition away from the dependence on fossil fuel. Countries like the UK have, you know, put a plan in place to phase out um, petrol-powered vehicles by 2030. So, what does that do for the the demand for petrol in countries like that? And that that policy is, you know, trickling down across the West. There are countries like Norway that have they have that have that have plans to phase out. Um, emissions of, of greenhouse gases, especially from, from carbon, like you would find in, in petrol. So with regimes like that in the, in the near, you know, to, to, to the not-too-distant future, um, you would expect that countries that are over-reliant on oil and have not been able to diversify their um, economy and streams of income would actually um, be dealt a very big blow.
um, like um, Joker said earlier, a lot of the states needed some form of bailout last year yeah. to be able to run, to be able to run, um, run government effectively, which is the recurrent expenditure. Yeah. But more importantly, the revenues were not even there to invest in capital, um, capital projects, which are supposed to impact, you know, the development of of the state, both in the medium and in the long term. So without um, adequate or constructive plans to actually um, diversify the economy of the states, right, and continuous over reliance on oil, these states um, in the in the not too distant future might not even be able to take care of their recurrent um, expenditure, talk less of, you know, the capital expenditure. And if you even look at the debt structure of the states, so that tells you that um, if you are running a foreign exchange regime like we are doing now, where you have um, the exchange rate almost at 500 naira, yes. and you, you have a huge external debt, what it will mean is that you will need more, more naira to buy more dollars yes, to pay your debt. Yes. And it doesn't need, you don't, you don't need to have a PhD to well, know that that is not sustainable yes. in the long run. So, so um, speaking about performance now of the four oil producing states, Delta, Bielsa, Aquaibom, and Rivers, how would you rate the performance of these states now in terms of IGR? And what are the things that constitute the IGR? So the IGR, um, what would usually make up the IGR are your payee, which is pay as you earn, mm -hmm. direct assessments. Now, those, those two um forms of taxes are from the personal income tax your payee is what is the personal income tax you would get from somebody that is in a paid um job and that, that is employed right exactly while the direct assessments are you know are like the taxes you would get from the self-employed um, persons then you have other taxes so like in legal states you have your consumption tax you have your um hotel occupancy tax and all of that. You have your land, I think it's tenement rates. Yes. So all of that, you know, and so many others that, that you know, I, yeah, I, I cannot land, really yeah. mention at the moment, you are things that would make up your other taxes. Then you have your road taxes. So all the kekes, the buses, <laughs> mm -hmm. all of them, all of that is supposed to make up your road taxes. Then you now have your, your um, revenues from the MDAs. So each of those MDAs has the ministries departments, agencies of government are supposed to um, generate revenues depending on their mandates. So like the Ministry of Transport, for instance, might have you know certain revenues that are supposed to accrue to them, maybe as um, levies, rents, and all of that. Same applies for maybe um, the Ministry of Finance, Ministry of Lands, and all of that. So a lot of these MDAs have been given mandates to generate revenues based on the services they they offer to citizens but what we've seen especially with the oil producing states and i don't know if it's i think it's also linked to the over reliance on revenue from oil yeah. we've seen that the road taxes the mda revenues are are not commensurate with the the workforce and even the population so if you have a, a state like aquibum that has a population of about six million and you are doing road taxes of less than 500 million. What that tells us is that you are not maximizing or optimizing, you know, your, your revenue streams. You are not, you know, working really hard to mobilize revenues to be able to effectively fund your budget. What we see in a lot of these states is that 
they outsource the collection of a lot of the say for the payee and maybe the MDA revenues, the other taxes and um, the road taxes sometimes are outsourced to um, to what do you call them um, consultants. Okay. And when you have a system where there's no centralized um, mode of collecting taxes, it provides an opportunity for corruption. There's a lot of leakages in the system. So you find a situation where if like a hundred million naira is generated in taxes, maybe more than 70% of that sum would find its way into private yeah. pockets. Yeah. And for the MDA revenues as well, because they have not been, the states have not been able to operationalize their treasury, treasury single account. So that treasury single account is supposed to be like a single account where all the government revenues are supposed to accrue to. But the situation you find in a lot of these, these states is that each of the MDAs have several accounts. Mm. So they have accounts that are just lying fallow with funds sitting in them. Yeah. But if we had a situation where there was a functioning treasury single account, whatever you know payments were supposed to accrue to government, maybe if you are going to go and pay maybe for a levy or maybe like a permit, for instance, yeah. that is supposed to accrue to the state, there is one you know, central account where all those payments are, are paid into. That will ensure that, you know, there's some form of, monitoring. you know, monitoring and coordination yes. of, of the resources that are supposed to accrue to the states from from the MDAs. So um, what we see is that among those four states that we had reviewed in that report, it was only Bayosa, you know, that had been able to um, operationalize their TAC to a certain extent. So in 2019, when the assessment was done by the World Bank, about 50% of um, the revenues from MDAs that are supposed to accrue to Bielsa State were domiciled in it, the TSA account. But for the other three states, Aquaibom, Rivers, yes. Delta, yeah. they, had, they have no, as at the last assessment, they have no functioning um, treasury single account. They still operate multiple accounts. A state like Aquaibom, has over 150 mm. accounts operated by the MDAs. If you have accounts like that all over the place, there's practically no way the government can mop up all of the um, revenues that is supposed to accrue to it. Mm -hmm. And you need these revenues to um, effectively implement your budget, um, carry out your plans and programs as domiciled in your policy document. So with all the, the numerous accounts, you know, the multiple accounts going here and there, how would you say the performances of these oil producing states are? Where is it right now? They are extremely low. They are extremely low. Say for the payee, you know, the, the, the road taxes, the other taxes, the the MDA revenues are extremely low. If you look at the, the um, direct assessment, which is supposed to be um the personal income tax from self-employed persons is extremely low and that's a pointer to the fact that um these governments have not been able to properly capture um all of the citizens that are supposed to be within the 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 um, tax bracket so there are a lot of nigerians that do not pay taxes right and even if they do like if you look at the informal sector for instance mm. if you look at maybe uh, market women that you know have Tabletop businesses. businesses. Okay. All of those 200 naira, 100 naira, 500 naira they pay daily to these tax collectors, collectors. don't make their way into, into the, the public purse. Okay. Right? All of these monies go into private pockets. Right? So the government has not been 
um, able to fully um, capture um, all of the potential tax-paying citizens in the tax bracket. If you're able to do that effectively, then you would expect that from direct taxes alone, you know, you'll see some considerable improvement. And the same goes also for the road taxes, right? You still have a lot of these boys um, collecting a lot of these taxes. Yes, yes. The same goes for the MD revenues. If you're not able to operationalize your treasury single account, make it such that all the revenues, you know, that the MDAs um, generate go into a single account, you will still find these leakages yeah, occurring. Okay. Okay, so you, before we go over to Adijoke, you earlier mentioned debt. The implication of debt, truth be told, is that it crowds out revenue that's supposed to be channeled now towards development. True. Now, now some of the biggest oil-producing states in Nigeria <laughs> are also among the highest indebted states. Now, what's the irony? So, if you consider the future of government, um, the future of oil, rather here, what are the alternative ways that these governments can use to raise additional revenue? You know so that they could at least accelerate their idea so the, the the easiest way out now right is these states needs need to look at how they can mobilize um resources revenues domestically okay. they have to um you know partake in ventures that would significantly boost their idea what does that entail so um we've spoken about the the um road taxes right there should be um, they, they should sort of digitize their tax system, you know, prevent um, cash payments. In this day and age, you know, where, where you know, we are operating a cashless policy, yeah. people should not be paying taxes by cash. You know, give, the moment you allow people to have contact with cash, you would expect that, you know, some form of corruption yeah. would, uh, would happen. They also need to harmonize and centralize um, their tax system. So, all of the different consultants that you have collecting taxes in different places have to be brought to book together and you, you need to have that tax system in one place we visited Cardona state last year mm. and we were so impressed with you know what was happening or what is happening in Cardona state okay. the um, chairman of the of the um, internal revenue service in, in Cardona state practically sees sits in his office and has like a dashboard that shows him by the minute how much comes in from a digital dashboard digital now. dashboard so if you are nancy a paper seller in yeah. um let's say where mushy market for okay. instance okay. if you pay a tax of let me let me 200 naira yes. for that day the chairman can see that transaction in his it's office uploads it uploads because it's digital you are not giving anybody the money okay they now. have been able to they, so they, they have pay points where instead of you paying it's the money to somebody yes. there's like um, a semblance of like an agent like the way this um agency banking works yes, yes. so you pay you pay cash then they they remit it to your your tax account okay. and it just reflects you know on the on the dashboard wow. if you have a system like that the states can effectively plan because they know the number of persons you know within the tax bracket yeah, yes. they know how much those persons are going to bring in per day right and they know exactly what to expect in form of taxes and the moment people see that you know these monies that they are paying are not going to private pockets they are going to the government and the government is actually using it to carry out you know services um, that affect them it will even encourage more people you know to sort of pay their tax 
another thing governments need to do you know is also to find a way to tax high high net worth individuals okay. if you look at countries like the us they sort of tax you know richer people more than they would poor people okay. to sort, sort of bridge that yeah. gap right but the situation where you find in nigeria is that the rich people tend to get away with you know tax tax evasion tax avoidance yes. right you see people driving people are able to park 10 cars in their compounds because there's no tax attached to you know living that kind of luxury life people are able to build how if you go to um metama for instance i know there are even some some flats in ikoyi that for some years now they have been left unoccupied if you had to pay taxes for those buildings being unoccupied i'm sure you would have found a way to to put people in those buildings so these are things that you know these governments need to look at then also if you look at some other um, streams like um consumption tax for instance Lagos state has been able to you know implement the consumption tax where if you are going to eat maybe like in a high-end restaurant now yeah, there's like a five percent yes. you know tax i don't know if it's five or ten percent extra yes. that goes to the government so if you are if you are if you are able to afford um maybe a meal for 10 15000 yes. you should be able to afford something extra for the government to you know use to carry out yeah. you know um proper service delivery for for citizens that's that then it, what another thing i realized in all of these oil producing states is that money no day money no day <laughs> but hotels the fool hotels the fool money no day hotels the fool so the government should sort of look for a way to tax that kind of consumption because for, yeah. for me i still see it as luxury okay. right because the bulk of the occupants of those hotels are not visitors yes. they are citizens that live in the state mm. but they just want flex life ah, yes, so ma'am. if you have the money to pay for a 20k room extra when you have a very comfortable room in your house <laughs> you should be willing to pay a little bit more for at least people to access quality education yeah. quality healthcare, and all of that so those amongst many other things if you look at agriculture a lot of these states too have sort of looked away from you know ventures that you know they used to be and they used to thrive in before um the before oil came into yeah. being it's those coastal states that used to be you know very um vibrant fishing communities yes. that all that has gone to the drain so as as a way to generate you know revenue um to sort of make up for the for the um revenue shortfall from the um from from oil these states need to you know prioritize diversifying away from from oil into some of these other ventures that you know we had spoken about earlier well thank you very much thank you very much any so now let's move over to adeja okay right uh, speaking about the 13 percent derivative it was introduced as what a resource benefit transfer mechanism you know to alleviate the living condition of the people in the oil rich region of niger delta now funny enough before this 13 percent derivative yeah, there have been several other transfer mechanisms we have the ptf the ndba and many more and many others yet all these mechanisms, I mean, if at all, they've translated little 
into development the region they still have infrastructural decay till today they still have things like unemployment they still have things like um, underdevelopment and so on so tell us what exactly is going on what can be done to ensure that these resource benefits mechanisms translate into commercial development yeah thank you um i think the first thing the government needs to do across states especially the oil producing states is um they need to ensure that money gets to where it's supposed to go to okay right and what one thing we've realized is that most of these states actually develop the urban cities and they leave um the rural oh, areas and at the end of the day you realize that oil is actually gotten from these rural places Funny. and they don't get to benefit from the resource um the revenue gotten from the oil at the end of the day so the first thing government needs to do is needs assessment right and how they can do that is they can do it in conjunction with the state legislature, okay. the state as of assembly, they actually need to carry out needs assessment in these communities because you find out that at times you go to a community and probably the maybe government is planning to build an healthcare center for them, whereas maybe it's a school they actually need, right? I've been to a community before in um, Bayelsa, Polanco community, sometimes in 2017, and the only primary school in that community was actually built by the community members themselves. Hmm. And they don't even have a secondary school. So their children actually trek miles to other communities to go to school. So the first thing government needs to do is needs assessment. What do they actually need in this community? And that's where um, citizen um, citizenry budgetary comes into place. You don't just um, develop budgets and assume, okay, these are the projects what to do yes. in this community. You need to ask them, what do you need? Because needs is actually more important than wants, you know. So that's the first thing government needs to do. And um, they actually need to block loopholes and leakages in their revenue um, spendings as well. Because at the end of the day, government is the revenue might be small, but you can still achieve a lot with that small revenue. If utilized, if it, yes, exactly. So that's one thing government needs to do, because. Most um, most of these um, oil producing communities do not benefit from these revenues at the end of the day. So needs assessment and make sure that you, as, for example, the thirteen percent derivation is actually supposed to is meant for these oil producing communities for their own development. But government don't spend it in these communities. I I doubt if they even benefit from that special um, revenue at all. So we also have the money, the, um, the NDDC project too as well. And another thing government needs to do is collaborate with probably NDDC and so that they real, uh, they make sure that they don't repeat projects. Because it's possible you see um, projects in NDDC budgets. You also see that same project in the um, federal government budget. Then somebody will get there, maybe the first contractor that gets there has already started working. Then another, maybe the contractor from NDDC gets there, so they're already working on this thing. And that project, the money meant for that allocation in that budget is gone like that. You so they need to make sure that there is no duplication of projects as well. So th those are that's how you can actually manage your revenue at the end of the day. All right, thank you, thank you. That was quite interesting. So now let's take a look at um, these four oil producing states. Really, they cannot effectively fund both expenditure, talking about recurrence and talking about capital, with the revenue that they get unless they borrow. Now, funny enough the recurrent items are not going anywhere that's because they are fixed charges so unless we have something like a drastic reform a cut down in overhead or something like that so how plausible and realistic is the cut on recurrent expenditure and what other steps can they take you know to ensure that capex does not um, get the short end of the stick 
So generally, the state government needs to cut down their high cost of governance. Okay. And when you want to cut down your high cost of governance, it, it includes both recurrent expenditure and your overhead costs. And um, because the thing is that you might states might have to take some drastic step in cutting down their personnel costs and their overheads because you realize that the bulk of their revenue goes to recurrent and um, overhead costs at the end of it, and they mainly have little revenue for oh, capital, capital expenditure yeah. and the thing is more than ever state government they need to allocate more funds to capital expenditures because capital projects will you know do a lot of things for the states create more jobs reduce unemployment in the states Definitely. so if they don't spend on capital projects then the state will be stagnant at the end of the day yeah. you know and you realize that the the amount of money governments even state governments and even government the federal government spend on overhead costs is alarming it's really really ridiculous because you keep seeing some line items in the federal government's budget and you'll be like, what are they using this, for, using this amount of money for? You see them saying they want to maybe furniture to maybe state government's house every year. Some ridiculous amounts of money. And I don't know, we all have houses and I don't think anybody changes their furniture every year. I don't think so. But you keep seeing these line items in their budget, which I believe that it's not like they actually spend that money on what they wrote yeah. is just for somebody to you know get extra funds somewhere so cut the recurrent expenditure cut the overhead costs and increase what they spend on capital projects to reduce unemployment create more jobs and also state governments actually need to support private companies too if um there is enough um investors in your states it will also create more jobs jobs doesn't necessarily need to come from the government can come can come from well, private yeah. um people as well you know so they need to actually make sure that they are, there is an enabling environment for people to build um, complaints in their states. So this way, actually, capital projects, when private um, enterprises build um, complaints and you know, create more jobs in the states, is a, so is, that's a form of capital project, not coming from the state government, but from private individuals as well. And when there's more jobs, that, of course, you get more pay from your people in the state so more IGR your IGR will increase like that definitely it will increase so Ini do you have anything to add um to this in so, terms of recommendation so, so, um, what I would just say is the states too need to know that um, for citizens to freely pay taxes mm. they need you need to be seen as been doing the right things so you are you are asking citizens to um, pay more taxes than they would ordinarily do in a, in a very challenging economic time. But at the same time, you are um, making expenditures in areas you should have no business making such expenditures in. If you look at a lot of these states in question, they have white elephant projects all over the place, right? If you take a state like um, um, Aquaibom State, for instance, I'm very. I, I know I've been referencing Akwai Bomb too much because I have, I have very serious stakes in that okay. state. In this, at this time, a state government should have no business building churches, okay. right? Especially if you look at the fact that there's a huge deficit, infrastructure deficit, in the in the um, education sector, in the wash sector, in the health sector, right? And you are committing billions of naira to building um, worship centers. Yeah. Or religious halls. If you look at a state like Bayelsa, they share they share um, a border with um, River State and Delta State. Akwaibom State, too, not too far from Bayelsa, um, also has an airport. 
um, Rivers has an airport, Aquaibom has an airport, Delta has yes. an airport. And Biosa is in the middle of, of, um, of Rivers things. and Delta. But he committed hundreds of billions to building an airport. You know, in times where you actually need revenues to bridge the infrastructure gap in other critical sectors of the economy. You still find state budgets where um, the allocations for cars, some of them call it vehicles for the system. So cars that they buy for their political appointees and all of that are twice the capital budget for, for education and health. Mm. You see those sort of expenditures. You would see expenditures around governor's donation and gifts running into billions of naira when very little is allocated to um, education, health, wash, agriculture, other critical sectors. That's even in allocation. Now, in disbursement, if you look at the areas where the government has actually committed resources to, because they can allocate X sum, that doesn't mean that that is what to get, you know, to the MDA to spend at the end of the day, because the budget is just an estimate of what you intend to do, right? You would you would see that the areas where disbursements are really high are areas that do not even benefit the common man, right? These states still have private jets that the governors fly, right? So you cannot continue to enjoy this form of opulence if you look at the commissioners of these states, they live like kings. So you cannot continue to fund that kind of opulence with um, state resources and expect citizens to freely, you know, give more to the government to carry out their plans and projects as um, as as domiciled in their in their annual budgets. So the the state the, the states or the managers of the states um, governments and the state resources have a lot of um, belt tightening to do. Right? Yeah. They need to be seen, you know, to be to be proactive in terms of prioritizing what exactly it um, the state would need for for sustainable development i know we have already discussed you know the pathways for generating igl before i don't want to to drum that um or to repeat all of that again okay thank you thank you very much that was emil bong usen a senior research and policy analyst with budget and we also had um Adejoke, sorry, engineer Adejoke Akimbodi, <laughs> budget extractive lead. Thank you so much, guys, for joining us. Um, you guys could keep your conversations going on our social media page on Twitter, it's budget ng, on Instagram, it's budget ng, and on Facebook, it's also budget ng. Your comments, your observations, and recommendations are highly welcome. My name is Nancy Odimego. Until next time, do have a lovely day. Mm-hmm.